Hi, my name is Josephine Baird. I am a... I've actually forgotten who I am. <laughs> <laughs> we should keep in some of the craziness around introductions with you. Oh, yeah. Welcome once again to It Is Complicated, the podcast where we answer every single question with It Is Complicated, including the title of the podcast, which is It Is Complicated. Hello, Dr. J. Hello, Josephine. How are you in this, oh God, insert time period here? Because uh, 2021. <laughs> is that to encourage? I don't know what kind of response that encourages. You know how people say, like, how are you doing? And they go, yeah, fine. And you go, really? And they go, no, really not. <laughs> Because it's that conditioned response, like that sort of like social etiquette of like, I've got to say I'm fine because that's what people do. <laughs> when you ask the question that way, it doesn't exactly. I've busted the script somewhat, haven't I? Yes. And being autistic, that doesn't help with my brain. But that's OK. Nothing does. So we'll just carry on. I am surprisingly OK. I'm really tired. It's been one of those weeks where you don't really know how you got through everything, but you did. And so there's sort of that sense of joy. Oh, wow, I'm alive. And also that sort of sense of like, what the fuck was that? (laughs) That's the mood I'm in. I don't know what you call that if it has a single word. How are you, Jay? How are you? I am coping with the fact that my sinuses have decided that, yay, this is the time to go and get really, really upset because pollen or grass or change in weather or something so my voice is squeaky my head is pounding I'm on multiple painkillers and about twice the recommended daily dose of um, antihistamines but my doctor assures me that it's fine for a short period of time so I'm hoping that short period of time is not nine months that short period of time is (laughs) is only a matter of weeks (laughs) Oh, that's really encouraging. It should be fine for a short period of time. Yeah. But shall we do introductions first? Because people might want to know who the squeaky voiced one is and who the deep voiced one is. Well, which one's which? <laughs> so who are you, Jay? Hey, I'm Dr. Jay. I use they as a pronoun. I gave myself the job title Harbinger of Change. I work at ThoughtWorks, who are the sort of bespoke software consultancy that allow people like me to write their own job titles. I also got to give myself the gender transgressive non-binary gender queer because New Zealand is officially one of the most awesome countries in the world. I'm a troublemaker, as if you didn't guess by all of the previous comments, and a hashtag queer nuisance because branding. So Josephine, what about you? Uh, A fine question. Hello, my name is Josephine Barra. I'm a scholar, activist and artist. I used to make a spectacle of myself upon the stage, but now I like to draw pictures of queer people and post them on my Instagram. I am also a lecturer at the University of Uppsala Game Design Department, and I'm also a PhD candidate who is trying to write about those things as well, because I like to think of myself as a queer with a portfolio. I thought it was a queer with a purpose. Yeah, one of those two. This was inspired by a conversation that Jay and I had literally a month ago. Oh, yes. Exactly to the day, four weeks. I know that it's four weeks to the day ago, because four weeks to the day ago, I broke my leg. 
uh, and had an interesting experience getting medical assistance whilst being trans. And so that is the topic for today. I've done some writing on it, which I've published up. I called it Gender Fluid the Problem and Gender Fluid the Solution because who don't like a pun? I know someone who loves puns and is, is exceptionally good at it. They know who they are. <laughs> for me, as a non-binary person, it's tricky because I don't even fit onto the forms. The ideas of what people need to ask at the doctors has never been considered. So I've had to build my own script for doing it. So I kind of go up and go, hi, my name is not the long name that you've read out. It's in fact what you thought was initial and just ignored. That's actually my first name. And by the way, my pronouns they, at which point generally the nurse has taken enough of a hint to introduce me then to the nurse then gets the two sentences, which lets them know that my name is Jay. I use they as a pronoun, at which point they're like, okay. And then they'll often ask me, do I need to know anything else or is there any medications you're on or something like that? And then we go see the doctor and the best ones will introduce me of this is Jay and they've marked in a highlighter that first letter is being important. Some of the better ones have even written they in capital letters on the document and handed it to the doctor. And one of the best doctors that I ever had just basically turned around asked a very quick question, which was basically, does this mean that you've transitioned? I said, no, I'm non-binary. And they went, fantastic, just needed to know to make sure anything else I needed to be aware of. And we went and did my allergy test, discovered I'm allergic to the entirety of grass and pollen in the Northern Hemisphere. And then the most amazing thing was in his notes to my GP, he wrote, thank you for sending Dr. J, who uses they as a pronoun and is non-binary. And then they referred to me entirely as they throughout everything that he wrote. And that was beautiful. It's really refreshing that you had that really great experience. And I think that's really wonderful. I'm so happy that you had that experience and you had that doctor. It's challenging or difficult to me to know that the basic thing that you should get would cause such a positive reaction. I know. But I understand it. And I do not want to in any way criticize you for having that reaction because I know exactly how you feel. And it's a perfectly legitimate reaction given the context. Given that, I'm having the most difficult feelings because it should be the most basic aspect of this, that they should just do that naturally. Now, that they don't is why that's exceptional. I've often found myself using the expression like, it is exceptional, it shouldn't have to be, but it is. It's almost like our Laverne Tota test, that yeah. the bar is set so low that just doing the minimum will get you over that bar. It is like that with the doctors, literally asking me my pronoun and using the correct name is the minimum and it will see me so delighted yes that i'm so surprised that somebody will do that and i just wish more people did it because it is literally the bottom of the barrel yeah and the opposite is such a problem so i mean we're talking about a circumstance where it's not just like upsetting or personally disrespectful which it is but it's also it can be really dangerous so when I used to live in England, I didn't go to the doctor for many, many years for anything because I was terrified of being treated poorly. Now, I transitioned without using any other medical intervention. That was also a reason for that was because I didn't want to go through a system that, frankly, having studied it for 
several years prior to that, I knew was not going to be good. So I chose not to. So there was a lot of reasons that I didn't go to the doctor for many years. And then one day, whilst living in London, I woke up with, did you ever see that Richard E. Grant movie where he grows a second head? I think it's called How to Get the Head in Advertising or something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I woke up with what looked like the beginning of a second head growing on the side of my neck. I mean, the size of like half a tennis ball had appeared overnight on the side of my neck, to which my knee reaction was, um, oh dear, that should not be there. I think that is anomalous in some way. <laughs> I wonder if I can ignore it. <laughs> <laughs> It occurred to me that perhaps I should go to a GP. So I found one locally and it was attached to Goldsmiths University because I was living in New Cross at the time. All right, let's go there and get this second head looked at before it starts talking. So I walked, <laughs> I walked into the office, gave my details, which had changed officially and so forth. So far, so good. Go into the doctor and sit down and the doctor who was sitting there and she sort of says, um, hi, um, Yes, hi. Hi. Yes. Josephine. Yes, that's me. Josephine. Like, yes, that's me. Oh, dear. In my head, this is not going <laughs> well already. Yes, Josephine. Right. Um. So you're here. Um. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I've arrived in your office. I'm physically in front of you. Yes. So you're here. And I said, because of the giant growth, <laughs> I point at it. And and she was like, oh, right. Yes, of course. Um, but um, before we do that, um, I really need to know, um, have you, um, uh, have you in any way, <laughs> have I met the queen? <laughs> have I? Won a BAFTA? I can't, one of those is possible, right? <laughs> And yeah, she's just doing this thing. Yeah, but have you, have you in any way, are you taking any? And I was like, oh, no, I'm not taking any hormones. No, I've not had any surgical intervention recently. I'm here because of the giant growth on the side of my neck. Would you please just, but you can't say that, right? Because you're in a position of incredible vulnerability. So I didn't shout, look at the giant growth on the size of my neck you strange person stopped obsessing about something that is completely irrelevant because it was of course irrelevant and <laughs> during the conversation once she'd finally calmed down somewhat and realized I wasn't going to I don't know uh, spontaneously combust in front of her or something I was asking me questions like so tell me a bit about your medical history and I was like yeah well I was just getting really ill all the time and I would have these chest infections like every month or so and you know I haven't been to a doctor for a while because I thought they would treat me weird who knew? <laughs> and eventually we turned out after some discussion and some investigation that I'd had glandular fever for two years. <laughs> Which I was like, I did. And I said, do I have glandular fever? And she said, no, you did though. <laughs> Very recently. And, um, you know, maybe see a doctor. And I was like, yeah, Sure. Because they treat you so well. Because there's such such a lovely experience that I always want to have. And I'm never worried about coming in here. Bye. I never saw her again. Because <laughs> I got my antibiotics and left. And that, I think, is emblematic of, unfortunately, a comedic version of a situation that can go much, much, much worse wrong. 
isn't it called trans broken arm is the nickname for that experience of like, hi, I have turned up with a broken arm and trans person is sitting there with badly broken arm. And the doctor immediately says, well, you're trans. And the person says, yes, but I have broken arm. And it's like, but you're trans. I need to refer you to the trans clinic. And it's like, but it's not about the transing. This is about the broken armsing. <laughs> it's not about the transness, the transes. It's about the broken arm. Broken arm has nothing to do with my gender. There's nothing you need to know about my gender to treat the broken arm. When you say that in front of a group of trans people or non-binary people, everyone laughs because everyone's been through that experience. And there's that laugh of knowingness, yeah, which I find so disappointing. Yes. It's tremendously disappointing. And of course, there's tremendous amounts of research on people from different marginalized communities going to doctors and having experiences like this. It's the literature that's been done on marginalized communities. And especially if you look at the literature on people of color and their experiences within the medical institutions and medical establishments is beyond depressing. It's absolutely terrifying that you will be treated quite differently depending on who you are when you go into these environments. This is not supposition. This is provable fact mm. to the point where you will have a greater chance of dying in circumstances. Yep. This has been proven all too true by the recent experience of the pandemic. Even some of the research that's happened in the last year demonstrates that, that if you're from a particular demographic, if you're from a particular marginalized group, you're much more likely to be hospitalized and to die mm. from the pandemic, from any number of conditions. And my experience very recently that showed me that again, I wasn't even aware that it had happened until after we talked about it, Jay. But when I broke my leg, I went to the hospital. Now, don't get me wrong, it was an incredibly busy day in the hospital because everybody in the city had broken their leg, apparently, or some bone, <laughs> to the point where it really did look like some sort of, like, war zone had happened of people breaking their extremities. Very odd war, but nonetheless a war because in the osteopathy department where I was, there were people lined up outside and in the corridors because it was just that busy. And when I go into a hospital or any kind of medical environment, I do that like I'm going to be the best patient in the world thing because first off, it's COVID. I know that hospitals and ERs are really, really dangerous for the people who are working there. I know that they are incredibly busy, incredibly stressed. And obviously on this particular occasion, they were incredibly busy and incredibly stressed. So I was trying to be super, super duper nice. I wasn't going to complain. I wasn't going to cause stress and anxiety. I was going to call only when I needed to call on the call button when I finally got one after a few hours of being in the corridor. I was going to be really, really careful with people's time and energy because I really wanted to be mindful of that. Which meant that when I asked for painkillers over the 10 hours that I was there, I only asked every hour or so. Perfectly and reasonable. This is a broken leg, by the way. And I'm still in all the clothes I came in. I was covered by a coat because I didn't have a blanket. And I occasionally would call every hour or so saying, hi, um, the ambulance staff who convinced me to take the painkillers because I didn't want to take them because it made me feel weird had pointed out to me that perhaps I should take more painkillers once I got to the hospital and that I should ask for them. I'm asking you for them. And whoever I asked would go, yes, yes, of course, and go away and come 
back never again. Now, I'm in a small department where I can see everybody running around. So I see them. They are there. They haven't disappeared. And I would press the button again an hour later and get somebody different or somebody the same. And I'd say, hi, look, I really do kind of need a paracetamol. (laughs) I don't even really need anything. I just want something to deal with the excruciating pain I'm in. And it has now been six, seven hours at that point. And to try and cut the extremely long story short, I got to a point where I was getting my leg x-rayed and I got to that point with no painkillers asking every hour. I then met the doctor who was incredibly kind when I pointed out that I'd had no painkillers right before she set my foot by hand, (laughs) was incredibly sorry that I had not had any painkillers right before she did it anyway. (laughs) And then I got to the point where I was getting the cast put on my foot, still with no painkillers. The people who were setting my foot, the people who were putting the cast on my leg were the same people I was asking for painkillers. And when the person came to put the cast on my foot and I said, hey, you're about to do that without me having any painkillers of any kind after 10 hours, was not impressed with my logic to the point where when they were trying to put the cast on my foot, they were screaming in my face to relax as they were manipulating my broken leg into a cast. At that point, and only at that point, did I actually express my distaste for the situation and said how fucked up it was. And I actually was using pretty calm language. I think I shouted, hey, you haven't given me any painkillers. I didn't swear at all because I knew that was a bad idea Mm. because as soon as you give them any reason at all to walk away from you, they will. And that was evidence because the doctor and the nurses who were around me, when I said, I asked you, literally you, and pointed at someone for a painkiller and you didn't give it to me and you've just done this and you've screamed in my face to relax. I don't think that's okay. Walked away from me in disgust. And not one person there gave a crap and uh, I overheard the person afterwards who had set my leg and screamed in my face that the reason they were rushing was because they wanted to catch a a train they said it in Swedish because they thought I didn't understand of course I did and eventually I got hold of someone who actually gave a shit and they helped me out and they were astonished and disgusted that that what had happened and I said, you know, I don't want to deal with you people anymore. I don't trust you. I can't handle this. They sent down the head of osteopathy to talk to me and apologize for what had happened. And I said, look, I'm trying to be nice. This is the situation. And all the way through, it hadn't occurred to me at all that this might have happened because I was trans. When I spoke to Jay about it, they said, oh, yeah, but you're trans. <laughs> and-, and I was like, oh, fuck, you're right. <laughs> I've forgotten I was trans in hospital. (laughs) It's a bit like when we were talking about employment. There's a notion that you can have busy people. You can have people who forget. You can have all of that stuff. Nobody has a great time in hospital. Nobody has a great time in these situations. And it's like, yeah, but every time. Yeah. And it's also negating that experience of just knowing You know, that sense that you get when somebody says your name, calls you, Mm. looks at you, touches you, there's a sense of disgust or something that comes off people and you sense it and it's palpable because you're used to it or you're listening for it. But 
when you try and retell the story, of course you can't retell, well, when she used the word J, she kind of said it in a slightly dismissive tone for the nth time. And it's when another Mm. trans or non-binary person says, oh, yes, hospitals, trans broken leg, trans broken arm. You know, at least you didn't get referred to the transing place. You didn't have them turn around and go, because you're trans, we've got to get the transing doctor down to check that you're transited enough for us to work on you and you're not going to spontaneously trans combust or something like that. Yeah, and, and you're right, because the thing is, I remembered the nurse's face when she was about to put on my cast, knowing that I'd asked her an hour before her specifically for the painkiller. And I remember the doctor's face when he turned around in disgust at me and the other nurse who'd said, oh, they were just rushing to get a train. The just dismissive tone. Mm. And I remember at the time thinking, there's something about this and I can't put my finger on it. (laughs) And, you know, if I'm going to psychoanalyze myself and dear God, I apologize to myself for what I'm about to do to myself. I could say, well, was I just ignoring it in order to survive to get through the experience? Yes. Maybe. Or was I just oblivious to it because I was just that tired or stressed or or full pain or whatever? But yeah, you're right. That's exactly what it was. Because we've all been there. I mean, I've been there with doctors. I've been there with chemists trying to get medication. So I recounted that really good experience at the start. But there was a second visit. had a lump on breast tissue, so I had to go get it checked out. So yes. It is about breast tissue. Yes, it was a lump that was completely benign. Fantastic. I'd done the same thing of, uh, my name is Jay. My pronouns are they. I am a non-binary person. Da-da, at the start. But the doctor who replied consistently referred to me as she, said, thank you for referring this something-year-old woman to me who is da-da-da-da-da. And it was all of those things of someone had listened to me and then just completely ignored what I'd said. And while it had no, well, it did actually have some bearing on it because if I was taking any hormones, they needed to have known. If I was planning any surgeries, they needed to have known. This doctor had ignored all of that, even though I'd been quite clear about my medical history, about everything, about the fact that I'm not taking any hormones. And they were like, da, 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 da. Yes, okay, it's just benign, da, 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 she, 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 she. And it wasn't done out of malice at that time. It was just done out of sheer dismissiveness of you don't matter enough for me to look twice. You don't matter enough for me to move my brain even slightly away from the standard way that I'm writing. You're dismissed, your cares are put to one side, And this is what I think you are. And therefore, I'm going to refer to you as that. I have had trans privilege at one point, though. There's such a thing? Oh, absolutely. I was having endometrial ablation because I was having perimenopausal bleeding that was incredibly bad. And what they do is they burn the endometrium off your womb so that you stop bleeding. And I had it done 10 years ago. The technique that they'd used has a significant failure rate of greater than 50%. So they've stopped using it now. But unfortunately, I was one of those 50% where it failed and I was starting to bleed again. So I went in to see the gynecology department, which is a wonderful place to go when you're in some sort of gender neutral configuration. And I said to the doctor, well, this is the medical history. 
my name is Jay and explained why my name is Jay. And the consultant came in and they were surprisingly lovely. And this is where, again, the bare minimum is greeted with such joy. But this person turned around and said, ah, so you've changed your name. You're in this process. We see that you've had this before. The normal thing would be to put you on this hormone, this hormone, and this hormone to see if that can control the bleeding. But I don't think that's necessary in your case, because obviously that's not something that we wish to do for you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you past all of that and book you straight in for the surgery. And I was just sitting there like, whoa. And then throughout some of the other things, what she said made me realize that she assumed that I was a trans man and was in the middle of transitioning. So she'd fitted me into a slightly different model and gone, if this person appears to be a trans man, you don't mess around with their hormones. You refer them urgently for surgery, which is what she did. And I was just like sitting there going, so this is what privilege feels like, huh? You get Uh, fast tracked. Jay, I'm not sure that's privilege. (laughs) (laughs) But it felt like privilege. It felt like that moment of like, there was a path that I could have gone down and they basically jumped me over a pile of things and went, yeah, oh, not, I think you belong here. Instead. Not because of privilege, but because of a presumption that they made problematically that actually made your non-binary identity completely invisible and just assumed a bunch of stuff about you. Now, don't get me wrong, by accident, <laughs> it got you exactly what you wanted and needed in the moment. That's not privilege. <laughs> oh, I thought it was. Fuck. Sorry. <laughs> oh my God, the things they did that are so wrong. <laughs> I thought I had actually quite lovely healthcare from them both. I bet you did. Because right. they were very concerned about ensuring that I didn't feel under stress in the situation, which is a very stressful situation. There's a difference between intention and the right thing for the right reason. Now, I'm sorry, I joke about this a bit, but I'm sure they were actually trying to treat you correctly. Now, they made a problematic assumption. That doesn't mean that their behavior was not correct in fact it was absolutely correct and also they went out of their way to take care of you because they knew that whether you're a trans man or non-binary whatever they thought you were who you were they try to treat you with as much respect and immediate care as possible probably because they knew that you might not have done previously Mm. so i'm sure many of their intentions were incredibly positive i just don't think it's privileged because what they were doing was trying to counteract problematic privilege (laughs) But they were doing it by making your non-binary self invisible. And that's this interesting notion of intention. I started taking hormones in Sweden and went through a number of different medical procedures that I'm not interested to talk about because there's no point. But there is a point to my story. And we have a cat who's visiting now, which will make this story infinitely better. My friend Amora is now listening to the podcast and sent me an email today saying that one of our favorite things is when the cat interrupts <laughs> and makes noises hi cat anyway she's now licking my hand anyway so in sweden as part of the medical transition policies that they have here they do something for you that they think is really good for you which is that if you were to take hormones in this country or get surgery of any kind they put that onto a medical record that cannot be accessed by anybody else in the entire country. No other body in the country can access my medical records that are at the gender identity clinic. They are completely 100% sealed there, which means 
No other doctor will know ever that I transitioned medically in Sweden. No other body other than the place that I had to <laughs> change my name at would have known, but I didn't change my name in Sweden. I changed it before I came to Sweden, which caused all kinds of problems when I got here, but that's another story. I can't get those records unsealed, even by choice. So when I went and had surgery for something else, I had to tell the doctor, hey, by the way, I'm taking these other medications. And they were like, okay, good, because that actually might have made a difference. And I was like, I know it might have made a difference. So I had to tell you, but I have to out myself to you now every single time. And you have to put it on my form manually every single time I go to a different doctor. And if I get any other medication that might interact with the medications I'm taking, I have to out myself. They haven't thought that one through, have they? No, they haven't. But the intention is to keep you safe because, and this is the fucked up thing. Think about it this way. I imagine that if I were to ask a governmental representation for medicine or any other aspect that was particularly interested in keeping their job in a certain way, if there was discrimination in Sweden based on medical access, they might say, well, yes, I'm sure there is, but not on an institutional level, because that's what politicians like to say. Yes, yes, there might be discrimination in an individual case because of bad apples, etc., mm -hmm. but not on an institutional level. Here's the thing. I know the Swedish government believes that there's discrimination on an institutional level. The reason I know that is because my gender identity clinic will not release my records to anybody at all, even when I ask. That's how much they know I would be discriminated against by every single institution who could have access to that information. I know they know that because that's the situation here. Now, the intention from the clinic may be positive. The upshot of which is, of course, I have to out myself every single time. And it causes issues. I can imagine. Now, would the alternative be bad too? Very possibly. But the circumstance is that there's no government agency that officially knows about this, which causes problems. Which means if they don't know about it, they can't start to manage it because you can't manage what you don't measure if you've made it invisible, you can't turn around and go, does this happen? Exactly. It can't <sighs> be measured. It also means that if there's any issue related to me being trans, I cannot rely on there being a paper trail here in this country to prove that's who I am. It is unfucking believably complicated. And it is also really, really dangerous. And the intention is to keep me safe because they know I would not be if certain institutions, the government institutions who would have access to this, the people who could access your medical files would discriminate against me and they know it. And that's why it's there. But this is their intention. The intention is there and it's not privilege that they're doing this. It's not a favor because I could have gone, oh, wow, that's so great that they keep my secret for me. No, 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 <laughs> it's, it's, it's not, not great because you've got to constantly keep outing yourself in situations when you're mm. most vulnerable because as patients, we're always super. Yeah, at your absolute most vulnerable. Yeah. In the instance where you are so vulnerable, and as a queer person, you know you're vulnerable, so you're trying your best. Like for me, you know, I'm sitting there in pain in a bed, not ringing the bell because I'm going, I don't want to cause a fuss mm. because I know the shit that can happen. And this government, this institution knows it too. Hello, Elsa. You know it too, don't you? Yeah. It's institutional, not individual. Because yeah. we did this thing at ThoughtWorks. We had 
patients and we had some doctors and some receptionists and a whole pile of other people get together and talk about their experiences on both sides of this in hospitals and doctors clinics and things like that. So we had doctors and nurses talking about how they tried to work with trans people and how they tried to ask the right questions or stop colleagues asking the wrong and intrusive questions. And we came up with really simple three little questions to ask, which kind of can be asked at various points in time during your journey at the doctors. And the first one starts off with, which pronoun do you prefer? We had this lovely doctor who was, how do I let my patients know that it's okay to talk to me about trans and gay stuff? And I'm like, ask them their pronoun. It's the easiest cue that you can do because it lets them know that you're somebody who will understand this. That says, the door's open. If you want to step in and tell me about that, that's fine. If you don't, it's okay. And then the other one, I thought of it when you talked about knowing the medications, because everyone always has to ask about medications, but hormones sometimes get forgotten in that list. And that can cause quite a lot of complications because either people don't want to admit to it, but also there's assumptions looking at somebody's body and somebody's gender presentation, what hormones they make. So the question becomes, what hormones do you make and what hormones do you take? So it's essentially just asking somebody, when you reach that medication point in the form, you've done the pronoun thing, you've warmed them up to the idea that it might be okay to real stuff, just which hormones do you make, which hormones do you take? And then we were thinking about the entire journey. And the last one is, will you need a bottle or a pan? And it's just three questions that cover all the things that a medical professional will need to know treating you without being intrusive about it. It's sad that it's needed, but it's a positive step. And I like that. It's trying to take what is an incredibly complex situation and set up a script for it. It's the same as setting up a script for asking about pronouns. It's the same as all this time is setting up those social scripts. And we've talked about the social scripts a lot. We've talked about how we bust them up. This is kind of setting up a new one that people can ask of anyone if they were built into every single interaction with a patient, they'll become normalized and suddenly trans people and non-binary people and gender non-conforming people go to the doctors and they actually have a slightly nicer experience because the bar has been raised a teeny weeny little bit. Ah, so what are we going to talk about next week, Josephine? Keanu Reeves. I don't want to talk about anybody else. I don't want to talk about fucking... Hey, I saw, actually, if you want to talk about J.K. Rowling... Dear listener, check out ContraPoints. That is brilliant. Honestly, um, when I saw that, Jay, I thought, you know what? I no, don't think no. we ever need to talk about J.K. Rowling ever again. Let's play it to bed. And I'll say this. If you are actually interested in any of these issues, there is an amazing video by Lindsay Ellis where she talks about the tropes of transphobia as it's been created and recreated through certain media and in relation to J.K. Rowling. And there's an even more specific and equally as excellent video by ContraPoints just on J.K. Rowling that is quite something. And I believe it's an hour and a half long. And oh, it's but really, it's really so good. worth it. Oh, it's worth it. And Get I in think, the popcorn. I think that is the only and last statement to be made on that particular issue. So from now on, Jay, the question at the end of our podcast will be, what should we speak about next week? And my answer, if you ask me, I don't know if, if I ask you, maybe I'll have a different answer, but my answer will always be Keanu Reeves because he's breathtaking. 
I love the positivity that we're starting to end on. I me too. Because for almost a year, we've just felt so under attack. And now I can turn around and feel maybe it's because it's spring. Maybe it's because I saw crocuses and snowdrops and daffodils. <sighs> Am I getting hopeful? Is that what we'll talk about next week? Maybe. The cat's brought a ball and is looking very hopeful at me. <laughs> then I will let you go play with your cat. Notice how hey. I said cat and not pussy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening as always this week. Jay, it's always a pleasure. And I hope you've enjoyed our conversation about what was talking about serious issues about medical interventions while trans and turned into a conversation about Keanu Reeves because he's breathtaking. See you next week. See you.